Welcome to Saturday Story Circle, always on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. It's time for Story Circle Theater, where some of our favorite people share some of our favorite stories. And today we have a special treat for you as our friend Pete McGurk is here to share an old Irish folktale about a legendary Irish character named Finn McCool in A Legend of Knockmany, as told by William Carlton. So get comfortable and enjoy A Legend of Knockmany. A Legend of Knockmany, as told by William Carlton and read for you by Pete McGurk. It so happened that the Irish giant Finn McCool and his gigantic relatives were all working at the giant's causeway in order to make a bridge, or, what was still better, a good stout pad road across to Scotland, when Finn, who was very fond of his wife Una, took it into his head that he would go home and see how the poor woman got on in his absence. So, accordingly, he pulled up a fir tree and, after lopping off the roots and branches, made a walking stick of it and set out on his way to Una. Finn lived at this time on Knockmany Hill, which faces Cullamore, which rises up half hill, half mountain on the opposite side. Now the truth is that honest Finn's affection for his wife was by no manner of means the whole cause of his journey home. There was at that time another giant named Far Rua. Some say he was Irish and some say he was Scotch, but whether Scotch or Irish, Sorrow doubt of it, but he was a targer. No other giant of the day could stand before him, and such was his strength that, when well vexed, he could give a stamp that shook the country about him. The fame and name of him went far and near, and nothing in the shape of a man, it was said, had any chance with him in a fight. Whether the story is true or not, I cannot say, but the report went that by one blow of his fist, he flattened a thunderbolt and kept it in his pocket in the shape of a pancake to show to all his enemies when they were about to fight him. Undoubtedly, he had given every giant in Ireland a considerable beating, barring Finn McCool himself, and he swore that he would never rest, night or day, winter or summer, till he could serve Finn with the same sauce, if he could catch him. Finn, however, had a strong disinclination to meet a giant who could make a young earthquake or flatten a thunderbolt when he was angry, so accordingly he kept dodging about from place to place, not much to his credit as a Trojan, to be sure, whenever he happened to get the hard word that Farua was on the scent of him. And the long and the short of it was that he heard Farua was coming to the causeway to have a trial of strength with him, and he was, naturally enough, seized in consequence with a very warm and sudden fit of affection for his wife, who was delicate in her health, poor woman, and leading besides a very lonely, uncomfortable life of it in his absence. "'God save all here,' said Finn good-humouredly, putting his honest face into his own doorway, and a sweet voice replied, "'Musha Finn a vic, and you're welcome to your own Una, you darling bully.' 
Here followed a kiss that it is said to have made the waters of the lake curl, as it were, with kindness and sympathy. Faith, said Finn, beautiful, and how are you, Una? And how did you sport your figure during my absence, my Bilberry? Never a merrier, as bouncing a grass widow as ever there was in sweet Tyrone among the bushes. Finn gave a short, good-humoured cough, and laughed most heartily to show her how much he was delighted that she made herself happy in his absence. "'And what brought you home so soon, Finn?' said she. "'Why, Evorning,' said Finn, putting in his answer in the proper way, "'never the thing but the purest of love and affection for yourself. Sure you know that's truth anyhow, Una.' Finn spent two or three happy days with Una, and felt himself very comfortable, considering the dread he had of Farua. This, however, grew upon him so much that his wife could not but perceive something lay in his mind which he kept altogether to himself. Let a woman alone in the meantime for ferreting or wheedling a secret out of her good man when she wishes, Finn was a proof of this. It's this far rua, said he, that's troubling me. When the fellow gets angry and begins to stamp, he'll shake your whole townland, and it's well known that he can stop a thunderbolt, for he always carries one about with him in the shape of a pancake to show to anyone that might misdoubt it. As he spoke, he clapped his thumb in his mouth, as he always did when he wanted to prophesy or to know anything. He's coming, said Finn. I see him below at Dungannon. And who is it, Avic? Farua, replied Finn. And how to manage, I don't know. If I run away, I am disgraced, and I know that sooner or later I must meet him, for my thumb tells me so. When will it be here? says she. Tomorrow, about two o'clock, replied Finn with a groan. Don't be cast down, said Una. Depend on me, and maybe I'll bring you out of this scrape better than ever you could bring yourself. This quieted Finn's heart very much, for he knew that Una was hand in glove with the fairies, and indeed, to tell the truth, she was supposed to be a fairy herself. If she was, however, she must have been a kind-hearted one, for by all accounts she never did anything but good in the neighborhood. Now it so happened that Una had a sister named Granua living opposite to them on the very top of Cullamore, which I have mentioned already, and this Granua was quite as powerful as herself. The beautiful valley that lies between the Granulises is not more than three or four miles broad, so that of a summer evening Granua and Una were able to hold many an agreeable conversation across it, from one hilltop to the other. Upon this occasion, Una resolved to consult her sister as to what was best to be done in the difficulty that surrounded them. Granua, said she, are you at home? No, said the other, I'm picking bilberries at Althedwan, which was the Devil's Glen. Well, said Una, go up to the top of Cullamore, look about you, and then tell us what you see. Very well, replied Granua, after a few minutes. I am there now. What do you see? asked the other. Goodness be about us, exclaimed Granua. I see the biggest giant that ever was known coming up from Dungannon. Aye, said Una, there's our difficulty. That's Farua, and he's coming up now to Leather Finn. What's to be done? I'll call to him, Granua replied, to come up to Cullamore and refresh himself, and maybe that will give you and Finn time to think of some plan to get yourselves out of the scrape. But, she proceeded, I'm short of butter, having in the house only half a dozen firkins, and as I'm to have a few giants and giantesses to spend the evening with me, I'd feel thankful, Una, if you'd throw me up fifteen or sixteen tubs, or the largest miskin you've got, and you'll oblige me very much. I'll do that with a heart and a half, replied Una. 
and indeed, Granua, I feel myself under great obligations to you for your kindness in keeping him off us until we can see what can be done. For what would become of us all if anything happened to Finn, poor man? She accordingly got the largest miskin of butter she had, which might be about the weight of a couple of dozen millstones, so that you can easily judge of its size, and calling up her sister, Granua, says she, are you ready? I'm going to throw you up a miskin, so be prepared to catch it. I will, said the other, a good throw now, and take care it does not fall short. Una threw it, but in consequence of her anxiety about Finn and Farrua, she forgot to say the charm that was to send it up. So instead of reaching Cullimore as she expected, it fell about halfway between the two hills at the edge of the broad bog near Ocher. My curse upon you, she exclaimed to the miskin. You have disgraced me. I now change you into a grey stone. Lie there as a testimony of what has happened, and may evil betide the first living man that will ever attempt to move or injure you. And sure enough, there it lies to this day, with the mark of the four fingers and thumb imprinted on it, exactly as it came out of her hand. Never mind, said Granua. I must only do the best I can with Farua. If all fail, I'll give him a cast of heather broth or a panada of oak bark. But above all things, think of some plan to get Finn out of the scrape he's in, or he's a lost man. You know you used to be sharp and ready-witted. And my own opinion is, Una, that it will go hard with you, or you'll outdo Farua yet. She then made a high smoke on the top of the hill, after which she put her finger in her mouth and gave three whistles, and by that Farua knew that he was invited to the top of Cullimore, for this was the way that the Irish long ago gave a sign to all strangers and travellers to let them know they were welcome to come and take share of whatever was going. In the meantime, Finn was very melancholy and did not know what to do or how to act at all. Farua was an ugly customer, no doubt, to meet with, and, moreover, the idea of the confounded cake aforesaid flattened the very heart within him. What chance could he have, strong and brave as he was, with a man who could, when put in a passion, walk the country into earthquakes and knock thunderbolts into pancakes? The thing was impossible, and Finn knew not on what hand to turn him. Right or left, backward or forward, where to go he could form no guess, whatever. Una, said he, can you do anything for me? Where's all your invention? Am I to be skivered like a rabbit before your eyes, and to have my name disgraced forever in the sight of all my tribe, and me the best man among them? How am I to fight this man-mountain, this huge cross between an earthquake and a thunderbolt, with a pancake in his pocket that was once— Be easy, Finn, replied Una. Troth, I'm ashamed of you. Keep your toe in your pump, will you? Talking of pancakes, maybe we'll give him as good as any he brings with him, thunderbolts or otherwise. If I don't treat him to as smart a feeding as he's got this many a day, don't trust Una again. Leave him to me and do just as I bid you. This relieved Finn very much, for, after all, he had great confidence in his wife, knowing, as he did, that she had got him out of many a quandary before. The present, however, was the greatest of all, but still he began to get courage and to eat his victuals as usual. Una then drew the nine woolen threads of different colours, which she always did to find out the best way of succeeding in anything of importance she went about. She then plaited them into three plaits, with three colours in each, putting one on her right arm, one round her heart, and the third round her right ankle, for then she knew that nothing could fail her that she undertook. 
Having everything now prepared, she sent round to the neighbors and borrowed one and twenty iron griddles, which she took and kneaded into the hearts of one and twenty cakes of bread, and these she baked on the fire in the usual way, setting them aside in the cupboard according as they were done. She then put down a large pot of new milk, which she made into curds and whey, and gave Finn due instructions how to use the curds when Farua should come. Having done all this, she sat down quite contented, waiting for his arrival on the next day, about two o'clock, that being the hour at which he was expected, for Finn knew as much by the sucking of his thumb. Now this was a curious property that Finn's thumb had, but notwithstanding all the wisdom and logic he used to suck out of it, it could never have stood to him here were it not for the wit of his wife. In this very thing, moreover, he was very much resembled by his great foe Farua, for it was well known that the huge strength that he possessed all lay in the middle finger of his right hand, and that if he happened by any chance to lose it, he was no more notwithstanding his bulk than a common man. At length the next day he was seen coming across the valley, and Una knew that it was time to commence operations. She immediately made the cradle, and desired Finn to lie down in it and cover himself up with the clothes. "'You must pass for your own child,' said she, "'so just lie there snug and say nothing, but be guided by me.' This, to be sure, was wormwood to Finn. I mean going into the cradle in such a cowardly manner, but he knew Una very well, and finding that he had nothing else for it, with a very rueful face, he gathered himself into it and lay snug as she had desired him. About two o'clock, as he had been expected, Farua came in, "'God save all here,' said he. "'Is this where the great Finn McCool lives?' "'Indeed it is, honest man,' replied Una. "'God save you kindly. Won't you be sitting?' "'Thank you, ma'am,' says he, sitting down. "'You're Mrs. McCool, I suppose?' "'I am,' said she. "'And I have no reason, I hope, to be ashamed of my husband.' "'No,' said the other. "'He has the name of being the strongest and bravest man in Ireland, but—' For all that, there's a man not far from you that's very anxious of taking a shake with him. Is he at home? Why, no, then, she replied, and if ever a man left in a fury he did, it appears that someone told him of a big bosthoon of a giant called Farua being down at the causeway to look for him, and so he set out there to try if he could catch him. Troth, I hope, for the poor giant's sake, he won't meet with him, for if he does, Finn will make paste of him at once. Well, said the other, I am Farua, and I have been seeking him these twelve months, but he always kept clear of me, and I will never rest day or night till I lay my hands on him. At this, Una set up a loud laugh of great contempt, by the way, and looked at him as if he were only a mere handful of a man. Did you ever see Finn? said she, changing her manner all at once. How could I? said he. He always took care to keep his distance. I thought so, she replied. I judged as much. And if you take my advice, you poor-looking creature, you'll pray night and day that you may never see him, for I tell you that it will be a black day for you when you do. But in the meantime, you perceive that the wind's on the door, and as Finn himself is far from home, maybe you'd be civil enough to turn the house, for it's always what Finn does when he's here. This was a startler, even to Farua. But he got up, however, and after pulling the middle finger of his right hand until it cracked three times, he went outside, and, getting his arms about the house, completely turned it as she had wished. When Finn saw this, he felt a certain description of moisture, which shall be nameless, oozing out through every pore of his skin. But Una, depending on her woman's wit, 
felt not a whit daunted. Ara then, said she, as you're so civil, maybe you'd do another obliging turn for us, as Finn's not here to do it himself. You see, after this long stretch of dry weather that we've had, we feel very badly off for want of water. Now Finn says there's a fine spring well, somewhere under the rocks behind the hill there below, and it was his intention to pull them asunder. But having heard of you, he left the place in such a fury that he never thought of it. Now if you try to find it, troth, I'd feel it a kindness. She then brought Farua down to see the place, which was then all one solid rock, and after looking at it for some time, he cracked his right middle finger nine times, and stooping down, tore a cleft about four hundred feet deep and a quarter of a mile in length, which has since been christened by the name of Lumford's Glen. This feat nearly threw Una herself off her guard, but what won't a woman's sagacity and presence of mind accomplish? You'll now come in, said she, and eat a bit of such humble fare as we can give. Finn, even though you and he were enemies, would scorn not to treat you kindly in his own house, and indeed, if I didn't do it even in his absence, he would not be pleased with me. She accordingly brought him in, and placing half a dozen of the cakes we spoke of before him, together with a can or two of butter, a side of boiled bacon, and a stack of cabbage, she desired him to help himself, for this, be it known, was long before the invention of potatoes. Farua, who, by the way, was a glutton as well as a hero, put one of the cakes in his mouth to take a huge whack out of it when both Finn and Una were stunned with a noise that resembled something between a growl and a yell. Blood and fury! He shouted out, How is this? Here are two of my teeth out. What kind of bread is this you gave me? What's the matter? said Una coolly. Matter? shouted the other. Why, here are two of the best teeth in my head gone. Why, said she, that's Finn's bread, the only bread he ever eats when at home. But indeed I forgot to tell you that nobody can eat it but himself and that child in the cradle there. I thought, however, that as you were reported to be rather a stout little fellow of your size, you might be able to manage it, and I did not wish to affront a man that thinks himself able to fight Finn. Here's another cake. Maybe it's not so hard as that. Farua at the moment was not only hungry but ravenous, so he accordingly made a fresh set at the second cake, and immediately another yell was heard twice as loud as the first. Thunder and giblets, he roared. Take your bread out of this, or I will not have a tooth in me head. There's another pair of them gone. Well, honest man, replied Una, if you're not able to eat the bread, say so quietly, and don't be awakening the child in the cradle there. There now, he's awake upon me. Finn now gave a skirl that frightened the giant, as coming from such a youngster as he was represented to be. Mother, said he, I'm hungry. Get me something to eat. Una went over, and putting into his hand a cake that had no griddle in it, Finn, whose appetite in the meantime was sharpened by what he saw going forward, soon made it disappear. Farua was thunderstruck, and secretly thanked his stars that he had the good fortune to miss meeting Finn, for, as he said to himself, I'd have no chance with a man that could eat such bread as that, which even his son that's in the cradle can munch before me eyes. I'd like to take a glimpse at the lad in the cradle, he said to Una, for I can tell you that the infant who can manage that nutriment is no joke to look at or to feed of a scarce summer. With all the veins of my heart, replied Una, get up, Akushla, and show this decent little man something that won't be unworthy of your father, Finn McCool. Finn, who was dressed for the occasion as much like a boy as possible, got up, and bringing Farua out, "'Are you strong?' said he. 
thunder and ounce, exclaimed the other. What a voice in so small a chap. Are you strong, said Finn again. Are you able to squeeze water out of that white stone, he asked, putting one into Faru's hand. The latter squeezed and squeezed the stone, but to no purpose. He might pull the rocks of Lumford's Glen asunder and flatten a thunderbolt, but to squeeze water out of a white stone was beyond his strength. Finn eyed him with great contempt as he kept straining and squeezing and squeezing and straining till he got black in the face with the efforts. Ah, you're a poor creature, said Finn. You a giant. Give me the stone here, and when I'll show what Finn's little son can do, you may then judge of what my daddy himself is. Finn then took the stone, and then, slyly exchanging it for the curds, he squeezed the latter until the whey, as clear as water, oozed out in a little shower from his hand. I'll now go in, said he, to me cradle, for I scorn to lose me time with anyone that's not able to eat me daddy's bread or squeeze water out of a stone. But dad, you had better be off out of this before he comes back, for if he catches you, it's in flummery he'd have you in two minutes. Far Rua, seeing what he had seen, was of the same opinion himself. His knees knocked together with the terror of Finn's return, and he accordingly hastened in to bid Una farewell, and to assure her that from that day out he never wished to hear of, much less to see, her husband. I admit fairly that I'm not a match for him, said he, strong as I am. Tell him I will avoid him as I would the plague, and that I will make myself scarce in this part of the country while I live. Finn, in the meantime, had gone into the cradle, where he lay very quietly, his heart in his mouth with delight, that Farrua was about to take his departure without discovering the tricks that had been played off on him. "'It's well for you,' said Una, "'that he doesn't happen to be here, for it's nothing but hawksmeat he'd make of you.' "'I know that,' said Farrua. "'Divil a thing else he'd make of me. But before I go, will ye let me feel what kind of teeth they are that can eat griddle cakes like that?' And he pointed to Finn as he spoke. "'With all the pleasure in life,' says she, "'only as they're far back in his head "'you must put your finger a good way in.' Farua was surprised to find so powerful a set of grinders in one so young, but he was still much more so on finding, when he took his hand from Finn's mouth, that he had left the very finger upon which his whole strength depended behind him. He gave one loud groan and fell down at once with terror and weakness.' This was all Finn wanted, who now knew that his most powerful and bitterest enemy was completely at his mercy. He instantly started out of the cradle, and in a few minutes the great Farua, that was for such a length of time the terror of Finn and all of his followers, was no more. hope you enjoyed A Legend of Knockmany, as told by William Carlton, and read to us by the one and only Pete McGurk. Now, Pete's a lifelong fan of reading out loud, and he uses his talents to create different characters, mostly in audio dramas. This is his second time recording this particular story, having done so previously in the 1990s on an ancient device called a tape recorder. He's happy to be able to remake this beloved legend under far more professional circumstances. So thank you, Pete. And next week, you have a treat because John Bell is here to share with us the story of Hey Diddle Diddle 
from Mother Goose in Prose by L. Frank Baum, who you just might know wrote the Wizard of Oz stories. So, until next week, we'll see you back here on Story Circle Theater. Audio Groove Cats. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Good morning. We hope you're enjoying Saturday Story Circle. Get enough cereal? How's the coloring going? You can always join us tomorrow on Mutual with the Sunday Showcase. Original audio drama from the United Artists of Audio, right here on Mutual. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for exciting audio drama every day. Or find the Sunday Showcase feed in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.